Happy Women of Strength Wednesday. You are listening to the VBAC link, and this is Megan and Julie and our friend Carly. She is from Arizona, and she is going to be sharing her VBAC story today. And there is something unique about her VBAC story. If you have never heard of cholestasis, then you want to listen up because we're going to talk a little bit about it and what it is and why it's important to actually get the baby here sooner rather than later when it is present. We're going to dive into her story. As always, though, we have a review of the week, and Julie will be sharing that with us. Yeah, I'm going to share a review, but before I share a review, I'm going to congratulate Megan for saying cholestasis, right? <laughs> you know, I always call it, I, I, in my head, I'm like, colio. Like, coliostasis. Like, co- yes, and I just, it says that all the time, like, colio. I'm like, cholestasis. Yeah. Like, you didn't even, like, stutter. It was just nice and oh, smooth good. off the tongue. So, I was very Perfect. proud of you. I'm growing Thanks up. to let you know. the things we mature at by running a (laughs) podcast all right so this uh review is from apple podcasts and it was left by natasha hoff and this is when we can facebook stock it except it was just left like a couple weeks ago but i'm gonna read it so um the title is so empowering and she said i found this podcast after i had a cesarean birth with my daughter almost two years ago i knew i wanted to be back And I wanted to hear birth stories from women who have had success, in quotes. Little did I know all of the incredible evidence-based information that Julie and Megan share on each episode and on their blog. I now feel like I have a wealth of information to help me achieve my goal of a VBAC, from choosing supportive providers to preparing my body for birth, all the way to what to do if my plans don't go the way I would like. I'm so excited now that I am pregnant with my second baby to be able to put these plans into action and begin my journey to a beautiful VBAC in October 2021. So we that's coming up. I know. Thank Julie and Megan and all the wonderful moms who have shared their story. Sincerely, Natasha Hofstadter. I love that she signed her name. Gosh, we should have waited till we to read this until October. So we should go we could go Facebook stalk her and see if we have her back. Oh, well, we'll come back to you, Natasha. I promise. Yeah, as I say, Natasha, <laughs> keep us posted along the journey because we love hearing. We love it. We truly love when we get the messages and we're like, oh, wait, you're the one we talked to way back when. <laughs> so we're getting, we're getting old enough now. And I mean, like mature, not old, although we are old as well. Well, not Megan. I'm just the old one. Um, <laughs> but, um, where we're coming full circle with a lot of these stories and it's really, really fun. It's really cool because I love when people share that the podcast, like educated them and helped them have lots of information. I kind of wanted to do, can I do like a little shameless plug in here for our VBAC prep course? Because yeah. the podcasts are like definitely lots and lots of information, but if you have to, you like, you have to listen to what are we at now? 170 something episodes in And that's 170 hours of information that you have to listen to. But that's why we created our VBAC prep course, because it's condensed. It's just the nitty gritty, need to know absolutely everything covered that you need for your VBAC, but hyper-focused in this like six-hour course in easily digestible video segments with corresponding texts and set up all really nice and easy so you don't have to listen to all 170 podcasts you can just go instead, watch a six-hour course, and it's set up so that you can go stop and go and stop and go and stop and go, and it can take you a while, or you can do it all in one day. And that way, you don't have to sit and listen through every single podcast. It's just a nice, sweet, like, 
Saturday afternoon with your husband and your little toddler running around and then you can get empowered and educated in one day. So I love that. Either way, we got you back. Something for everyone here at the VBAC link. (laughs) You are tuned in to the VBAC link podcast with Julie Francom and Megan Heaton, VBAC moms, doulas, and educators here to help you get inspired for birth after having a C-section. Together, they have created a robust VBAC preparation course along with this uplifting podcast for women who are preparing for their VBAC. Although these episodes are VBAC specific, they encourage all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a cesarean from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here are your hosts, Julie and Megan. All right. You ready to get into this story? I know, right? We're so excited for Carly's story. And oh my gosh. Hey, Carly, we're not going to take any more time. This is your time. Let's turn the dime over to you. Okay, awesome. Thanks, ladies. I'm super excited to share my story and hope that someone can learn something or take something away. But so starting from the beginning, I guess growing up, I I was never really afraid of birth. Um, My mom had four natural births, all at the hospital, but just nice, smooth, easy births. And both my sisters had had natural births at the hospital as well. So I just thought, you know, my grandma, you know, everybody just all had easy, nice, easy, natural births. So I was like, it's going to be okay. Whatever happens to me when the time comes, I'll read a couple books and I'll be good. So turns out a little trickier than that. Uh, I got pregnant about after seven months of trying, my um, husband and I, we kind of started trying. After a year and a half of marriage, I was diagnosed with PCOS when I was 16. And so doctors always said, you'll get pregnant, but most likely with um, with help, with Clomid or whatever types of fertility treatments. So after seven months and getting pregnant naturally, I was just super excited and super grateful. And I remember that first call to the first doctor. Um, I think I'm pregnant. Like I got the positive on the pee stick like what do I do now (laughs) I don't know if anyone else ever done that but I was just like uh what do I do so with that doctor um I had an ultrasound with them but I didn't really vibe with that doctor and so I was like "Uh, I think I'm gonna switch to someone else which I'm super glad I did um I went to a group of midwives that deliver at kind of a more natural hospital here in the area and my sister had used them for her first birth and I was like okay they're gonna be great Throughout the pregnancy, I met all seven of the midwives, and I found two that I I enjoyed more and I kind of felt more connected to. And so I always, like, hoped that they would be on call when, when the time came. Um, and for the most part, pregnancy went really well. Did all the regular appointments. Turned out to be GBS positive at the end, which I hadn't really looked into. So I was just like, all right, I guess antibiotics is my fate. And... Towards the end of my pregnancy, I was due in September, and during the summer, we lived in Boston for my husband's work, and so it's kind of out of town, and then came home in August to start student teaching at 36 weeks of my senior year of college, and didn't drop out, just decided to do it, so I student taught from 36 weeks up until I went into labor, and then the plan was to have like four weeks off and then go back into into student teaching, so it was kind of, it was a hectic time in my life for sure, and birth wasn't quite the the forefront of my mind. And I do think that definitely played a part. So when I was 40 weeks in one day, made it all the way to the end, um, I started feeling period cramps around 4 p.m. 
And I was like, what? Am I starting my period? This can't be. I don't feel like anyone ever told me that period cramps is like the start of contraction. So that was shocking to me. But uh, around 8, p 8 p.m., they kicked up again. And so I was like, I'm going to go to bed. And uh, 1130, I woke up and got in the tub. I was just like, oh, I'm just going to try and relax through these. And 20 minutes later, or so my water broke. And that was the craziest sensation. I just remember feeling this like pop and then like a gush of water. And I was like, uh, I think my water broke. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I got back in bed. I knew I shouldn't like brush anything. So I put the blanket down on the bed and laid down and tried to rest, but I was really just on the app, you know, counting contractions and don't do that anyone in the future. So it's not worth it. Just felt like I should have really It's like watching the pot boil. Like if yes. you just sit and watch it, it never boils. And the second no. you just like will walk away, you're like, oh, what's that noise? Oh, it's boiling. Yeah. And I agree. Yeah. Rest. Just rest. <laughs> yeah. Right. So I wasn't, I was like so giddy and excited. I called the midwife and it was one of my favorite ones. So I was so excited. And she said, take some time. Like contractions were like five to seven months apart, which I feel like is kind of close, but I think I was probably counting them wrong. I don't know. I'm all confused right then. So <laughs> she said like, take some time, but you do want to come in to get on the antibiotics so you can get your two doses. And so we got in, we went to the hospital around 3 a.m. And uh, contractions were pretty good. Like they were coming and got to triage, which I think is the worst place ever. <laughs> do not like triage. And uh, got checked there and I was one and a half centimeters. And I was just like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. So got into a room. Um, they took my blood. The guy came in to give me an IV and I asked him, I was like, hey, I really don't like needles. TV, nice to be. And he was like, oh, deal with it, basically. And I was like, oh, okay. So I think just right from the get go, I just did not feel comfortable in the hospital. I just felt out of place. I don't like hospitals to begin with. And uh, just from the get go, I was like, uh, I don't like this. I don't feel comfortable. And I think I was just like shut down a little bit, you know. So they had tubs there, though, in the hospital that you could labor in, um, not deliver, but labor. And so I spent a lot of time in the tub and I didn't have a doula. So it was just me and my husband and the information that I had read from Ina Mays and just tried to work with what I knew to do. So I'd like be in the tub, try and different positions, change around. The nurses would come in and check baby's heart rate. The midwife would come in and see how I was doing, but then contractions just really spaced out. And after about like 15 hours of my waters being ruptured, they suggested Pitocin, but I just really wanted to do natural. And so I was like, maybe not yet. And so they decided to give me this half of a pill. I don't remember what it was called, but- Probably Cytotec. Yeah, something to help the contractions, I think. Is that what it? Cytotec. It's, yeah, and it's like your cervix wasn't super primed and ready. It's, yeah, uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. it's something that can help effacement and dilation and the contractions usually kick in a little bit with okay. that as well. So I took it, I took it orally. Is that the same thing? Like, uh -huh. all of it? Okay. Yeah. Okay. So they so do yeah. it vaginally and orally. Okay. Because I'd heard mm -hmm. of it vaginally, but okay. So yeah. that kind of got contractions a little bit closer together, but they still weren't, they were like seven to 10 minutes apart, just not ideal. 
and then they checked me and I was like four centimeters and so still like not really like progress but not as much as they wanted you know and so we decided to go ahead and start the Pitocin and oh my goodness wow <laughs> those really amped up and so I wanted something to kind of like I needed something to like help me relax but I was so against the epidural so they gave me something they said it'll last two hours it may make you hallucinate I don't know what that I don't know what it's called but it did exactly that <laughs> and uh, uh maybe um, fentanyl yeah fentanyl? probably it kind of okay. makes you like a lot of people are like, I kind of feel high and like, woof, like out of body and sometimes nauseous like or loopy yes. or drunk. Yeah, kind of yeah. like, uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, I was definitely, at one point I was like running down a street in the Lego movie. <laughs> I've never seen the Lego movie, but I was like a, a Lego person <laughs> running. So oh weird. my gosh. <laughs> That's awesome. It You're was so <laughs> crazy. So like it was the middle of the night, so my husband's trying to sleep and I'm trying to get some rest, but you can still feel the contractions. And so I was like getting out of bed every seven minutes and asking my husband, come hold my hips, like squeeze them. And so making him get out of bed and just this roller coaster of just, it was awful. So once I woke up out of that hallucination, weird daydream stuff, the nurses came in and said, baby's heart rate kept dropping while you were on that. We had to stop with the tocin but we want to try it again. So we tried it again and then baby's heart rate dropped again. You know, the whole stop and go, stop and go. And at this point I'm seven centimeters and I just kind of have stalled at seven centimeters for a while. And I think this was like hour 30. And so I, that was like the first time I really considered the C-section and realizing that this is probably what what might get my baby here. And um, I still wanted to wait and they they did let me wait. Um, my midwife, I just have this vivid memory of her standing, like leaning against these cupboards, her arms crossed around her chest, her feet like ankles crossed over, like she's standing up leaning against these and just just so like leaned back and just not even caring, just kind of like, yeah, I mean, we can do this or we can do this. And I'm just sitting in this bed like, oh my gosh, help me, you know, like I'm trying everything I possibly can, but I just don't know what to do. You know, and me and my husband are just like confused, not sure what to do. And she's just like, yeah. And I was like, well, can, should we try the epidural like before a C-section? And she's like, yeah, you could, but I'll probably just end up in a C-section. Like, I'm like, what? You guys are these natural minded midwives. What? <laughs> I don't know. I was so that's I was just kind of like, I guess the epidural won't really work. And then they started saying, like, what if something is wrong with your baby? Like, what if something's stopping your baby from coming, like the cord or something like that? And so I just, at that point, I was like, well, I probably, we probably shouldn't keep going. And maybe it would just be better just to get her here, or baby here safely. We didn't know she was a girl yet. But get baby here safely rather than potentially having, like, a crash C-section, maybe Nikki time or whatever. So... We did. We decided to call around 5:30 in the morning, and ended up being about 35 hours from my water breaking to to going to the OR. So everything in the OR was great. Um, everyone was really kind and understanding. The anesthesiologist was super nice, and the nurse like held me while I got the needle in my back, which I was terrified of. And 
I think probably the lowest point though is laying naked on that table with the lights. For sure. <laughs> it's like awful. But my husband came up and he got to be there and surgeon let us know when baby was coming and we didn't know the gender and so we wanted my husband to call out the gender and <laughs> baby <laughs> the surgeon holds up the baby and he's like, It's the boy I think and everyone just laughed and helped him out. It, been a really long time so we had to give him some slack he was exhausted but it was a girl and uh, my heart was just bursting I was I was a mom and I was so excited and then I just wanted to hold I just wanted to hold her so bad I was like that baby needs to be over here <laughs> right now and uh, they did once they did all their stuff over at the baby station they brought her to me and I got to hold her in the OR and and then they got me back to um, our room pretty quick and got to breastfeed and Everything honestly did turn out pretty good. I still have like happy feelings driving by the hospital. It's not like a awful place or anything, but just kind of disappointing. And I remember asking my midwife before the C-section even, I was like, can I have a VBAC? I, I really, I know my body can do this, you know, and I want to, I want to do this. I, I want more children and wasn't sure if C-sections for life was going to be my fate, but she did say, yes, you totally can. And I just remember driving away from that hospital with my little baby right next to me in her car seat and just thinking, what just happened? Like, I, I want to redo. I need a redemption on this birth. And that's what kind of propelled me into trying for a VBAC. So kind of just had all the thoughts of why is it so easy for other women? Like, I thought I had done everything. Um, I didn't get an epidural. Usually it's epidural, right? That causes C-section, but no. And this experience just had taught me a lot. So after I graduated from college and once my baby, once she was like a year old, we started trying for another one. Just wanted to make sure I had reached that like 18 months of like, you want your babies to be 18 months apart for an ideal VBAC chance. And started reading books and listening to podcasts. I found this podcast, which I absolutely loved, and at the end of my pregnancy, I would just listen to every night. My husband <laughs> knows your guys' voices and all of that, so started to envision what I what I really wanted, um, and that was ultimately no interventions. Like I just wanted a natural birth, and I realized that the first intervention really is leaving your house, and so I I really wanted an HVAC wanted to have a home birth and so got pregnant about four months after we started trying and uh, I started interviewing some midwives here in the area and um, I interviewed interviewed one I I just knew I needed like a supportive provider if the VBAC link has taught me anything it's that supportive provider sorry is like key and so I uh, interviewed one and got super excited at how supportive she was with her VBAC uh, or with HVAC and thought like oh my goodness this can actually happen people actually do this but we didn't like super connect and my husband we walked out of the interview he's like well that was kind of weird but if you feel comfortable I'm comfortable and so I decided to interview another midwife here and uh, we were kind of playing phone tag and she called me back and said um, the first thing she said when she answered the phone was like I cannot wait for you to push your baby out and I don't think she could have said anything better to me at that point. I was just like, 
oh my goodness, that is exactly what I want. And that was the support that I needed and wanted. And so we built a relationship super quick and I just felt so loved by her and, and like trusting of her. And so pregnancy went really well, nothing too crazy um, except COVID. At 20 weeks, everything shut down. And so it was pretty crazy, but everything was mostly out of home, my home. Like I, she did home visits with me and, and then her office. And so I think really had shut down for my care, except for the 20 week ultrasound kind of kept getting pushed back. And so I had it at like 24 weeks, but everything looked good. And I was just preparing for my home birth. I made like a birth goal sheet in case I did end up having to transfer. I tried to envision all different types of scenarios. And I think the biggest scenario that I was envisioning of having to transfer was if I was just stalling out labor was taking forever again and that I would go to the hospital and get an epidural. And that was just, that was fine with me. I was like, I will do the epidural this time. Like no big deal. If I need to, I am fine with that. And so I had all these, I don't know, just prepping for this home birth and Um, My midwife, she actually works with a OB in Phoenix and transfers to him and they have a really good connection. And so she had suggested maybe do like a phone consultation with him just just to get to know him. And just in case you do have to transfer that you'll have a record with him. He'll know you. You'll know him. And so I did. I did that. And I loved him right away. He was super informed consent. He told me right the first phone call or the phone call, he said, I will never check you. I'll never tell you that you need to be checked because that's assault. And I will only check you if you want me to check you. And I was like, wow. So that made me feel really comfortable. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that awesome? (laughs) It is awesome. Yeah. So I was just like, oh, yes, I can vibe with him and, and, if I do have to transfer, like I will feel comfortable going to him. And so pregnancy went good. Um, 36 weeks, I started to feel really like nauseous, especially at night and there's no appetite. You know, you're growing a baby, so there's like no room. That's what I chalked it up to be. And I was really achy and really tired, like super tired. But you know, I'm 36 weeks pregnant. That's pretty typical. And so I just chalked it up to be end of pregnancy. Turns out that those are all symptoms of cholestasis that I just never, I didn't connect until the end. But so 36 and 6, I was laying down and relaxing at the end of the night. And I asked my husband, I'm like, is there a mosquito in here? Because whenever there's a mosquito, I always get eaten alive and he's like, doesn't get bit at all. And so I'm like, there's got to be a mosquito in here because I'm just itching all over. And uh, just like frustrated. I'm like, oh, I hate being itchy, you know. And so I go to bed and uh, I'm just itching like crazy. Like this is no mosquito. (laughs) This is more than any mosquito could ever do. So I uh, am not sleeping at all. So I start Googling, you know, the worst idea to do in the middle of the night. Start Googling everything, itchiness at the end of pregnancy. And it comes up with this cholestasis of pregnancy. And I'm just like, oh, no, seeing that I'm going to have to be induced potentially or all these different things. I just start having like really negative thoughts and tried to get some sleep, but I could not. And so once it was like more of a decent time in the morning, which I guess there's no decent time for a midwife or doula, 
I called my midwife. Oh, and I had a doula as well. I forgot to mention, but I did hire an amazing doula who was super great during my pregnancy. But so I called my midwife or my midwife and doula and just let them know, like, uh, I'm itching really bad. What should I do? Like, I, I read that it could be cholestasis. And so my midwife was like, yes, could be cholestasis. You better get it checked out. Why don't you go to the hospital where the OB is and I'll let him know that you're coming. Um, let's just get it checked out just to, to make sure baby, like, let's do it for baby. Um, make sure that we get, keep baby safe. And um, so I was like, okay, let's do that. And she was like confident, like, it's, you're probably just going to get the test results and come back home, but maybe pack stuff just in case you do stay and, and do get induced because that morning I was 37 weeks and that's the day that typically they induce mom with cholestasis. So I was just like a basket full of emotions, but my midwife and doula were so reassuring and, and just kept saying that this is the best thing for your baby. And, and that's, that's what I wanted was I wanted my baby to have, to be safe and to be healthy. And so I knew I could do this for, for baby. So we decided to go to the hospital um, where the OB was and uh, it was about 30 minutes away. And yeah, just with COVID and everything, I just decided to pack up everything just in case we did stay. And uh, I wanted my baby to be in a cute outfit when he or she was born. We didn't know the gender again. So, and then we said goodbye to my daughter as if we were going to have a baby, which was so weird and so hard. I was not prepared for that. Everything just seemed so rushed and so quick that I really had to start like shifting my mentality and not focusing on the hospital, like the last place I want to go right now. And I do not want to have my baby in a hospital to, you know what, God is in control and he led me and taught me so much with my first birth that he can teach me so much right now and he will lead me now. And so I just tried to give it over to God and just trust. And so... So, so nervous, though, especially knowing that induction with me back is just not ideal. And so less, less I, ideal, but not impossible. Right, right. Yes. Exactly. And so that's what I was like. And that's what my, my doula and my midwife, they were so encouraging. Like, you can still do this. You can still have a readback. Like, this is not a one and done, like, end all be all. So I was just trying to stay very positive. So we got to triage and it was just me allowed. Husbands weren't allowed because of COVID. And I got there around 11 a.m. and just thought it would be like an NST and blood draw. And so the OB came in and explained to me my options and what could happen once I got the results and just very much informed consent. So got my numbers back and they were some of the highest that he had seen. And he would have let me leave. He would have let me go home and like try to get labor going on my own. But I just felt like it was best just to stay and to get induced because because I wasn't sure what this was, you know, and because it is, it can be scary with losing your baby. And so I definitely did not want that. And so I just felt like it was, it would be best to stay. And so I was there basically all day. They were really busy that day. And I was just in triage in the little curtain. You can't go around because of COVID. So I'm just staying, staying there trying to stay up. I was like doing squats in my little curtain area and trying to do all these positions. It was just very weird, but my nurse in triage was so, so comforting. And when I told her I was trying for VBAC, she got so excited and said, oh my goodness, this hospital has like a 95% VBAC rate, like all this great stuff. I was like, what? Oh my goodness. Super exciting. And uh, 
she actually ended up visiting me every night in the hospital after that. Like after her shift, she would come by and say, how are you doing? Where are you at? How's the day been? Because I was there for multiple days. But <laughs> she she was really comforting at a time that I was so, so confused and unsure and just scared, you know. So that was very nice. I didn't get back to my room until 7, 7.30 because they were so busy with cases more severe than mine. And so they were like, oh, she gets the next room. Sorry. Like, she gets the next room, which was like, I was grateful for that. But it was also just like, oh, I'm so sick of being here. And my husband couldn't be with me. And anyway, trying to remain positive um, and grateful. But finally got back to my room. And my nurse, her name was Beth. I still remember her. She came back to my room. She's an old lady. And she looked a little like, I don't know, <laughs> a little scared. I'm like, oh, great. This is not going to go well. But she ended up being like the most confident in my induced feedback. She was just like, oh, honey, you've got this. You're going to be so great. And I I really wanted to try, you know, I was trying to go natural. So she, she was all for me trying to nipple stimulation first. Got little breast pumps set up and was like, turn on a show. You guys just enjoy your time here. <laughs> super sweet, super nice. So we turned on the office and watched a couple of shows or whatever and got some contractions going, but nothing like serious and nothing, nothing to write home about. So we decided at that time to uh, kind of start Pitocin. And at that point, I didn't have, I hadn't had an IV in yet. I hadn't gotten checked. So the OB came in and he uh, checked me and I was zero centimeters and zero percent of face and very high up, which... I mean, oh my gosh, how frustrating. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, for 37 like, weeks, you kind of expect that. But when you're trying to have a baby now, it's just got to be hard. Right. I was like, wait, my baby needs to come. But yeah, my doula was like, Carly, you're 37 weeks. That's exactly what you should be. And I was like, oh yeah. And no one was concerned about that. They were all like, yep, it's fine. You're gonna Such be a fine, good so. point. Such a good point right there. That's exactly yeah. what you should be. I love that. Right. Because you, you so wouldn't like, expect, like, to be super, like, you wouldn't expect to be four centimeters at that point, right? Right. Like, you're really, really. want to be. Yeah. 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 So, it was, it was a good, yeah, it was a good, like, you're exactly where you should be. And I was like, you know what, I'm, that's right, I'm, it's good. So, got the IV in, which I hated again, but it was better. And started the low and slow Pitocin, which I made sure because of what I've learned here is that <laughs> you start at a two and you move up to every like 30 minutes, right? On Pitocin, I think. And, yeah. Uh, or longer. Yeah. You know, okay. Or an hour. So an hour. Yeah. I like, I like to do, say an hour. Like I suggest my clients to like encourage an hour because it really takes 30 minutes for the urine receptors to like receive it and start acting. And so it's hard to know what it's actually going to do at 30 minutes because we haven't given it time to actually do it. Yeah, I think it actually starts responding really immediately in minutes, but it takes 45 minutes for the full strength to hit the uterus. So you're not contracting to the level you adjusted it to until it's been 45 minutes. So if you're adjusting every Mm -hmm. 30 minutes, you're kind of uh, contracting based on the dose you got two times ago instead of the last dose. I don't know if that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think they were doing every hour. I can't remember. I was like, you know in it so I'm pretty sure they did every hour because they were very v-bag friendly and everything so I think they were doing that but I'm not sure but (laughs) it ended up working out so slept pretty good that night 
on and off throughout the night. And then at the shift change the next morning, the OB checked me and said that I was two centimeters and 50% of face, which I was bummed because <laughs> that just seems like my fate in birth is just going so slow. But everybody else was so excited about that. They were like, you made so much progress over the night. And I was like, what? Okay, <laughs> I guess so. And they were just so happy because at that point, we could try and get the Cook's catheter in, which I've always heard about the Foley bulb, but my OB wanted to do the Cook's catheter. I don't know if you want to like try and explain I mean, that. it's pretty similar. Cook's catheter actually has better results, but I mean, it's similar. So it's a, it's a catheter that goes into the cervix and is inflated with like a balloon on the other side with saline. And it puts pressure on the cervix, which is like a manual dilation then it eventually, like, once the cervix is open, it just falls out. So people all around the world, you know, just depend. It's it's honestly a doctor's preference, and sometimes it's what the hospital has. It's either a Foley or a Cook, but, mm -hmm. I mean, essentially they're the same. Yeah, the Cook gotcha. just pushes pressure on both ends of the cervix, mm -hmm. and the Foley bulb just pulls from the outside. The outside. Or from the inside. The inside. Or the out. <laughs> yeah. From the, it, yeah. From the, it, it pushes from the pressure down. Side. The outwards, yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's right. Gotcha. Okay, so, yeah, so he tried to get that in twice, and it was not working, and I was like, no, 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 like, I I have to do this. This is the only way, you know, I'm just, like, having all these negative thoughts, but he was like, you know what, try and relax. We're going to take a break, and then his wife, who's actually a certified nurse midwife, they, like, own a practice together and work in the hospitals together and everything. He's like, I'll have my wife come in and try. She's got smaller hands or something. And so she came in two hours later and she got it in first try, which was exciting. So she took care. She took over my care from then on. I don't know, but it was great because I loved her too. So we continued with Pitocin, moving around. We would go up to the full amount of Pitocin and then take an hour break and then get back on. And eventually, so the, the catheter was put in at 9.30 and then the catheter fell out at 9.15 when I was on the toilet. And it was like the most exciting moment ever because my body was actually working and I just couldn't believe it. So I thought they were going to have to like deflate the fluid and <laughs> take it out manually or something. But so my body was working and they checked me that night at 7 and said I was a 6. So I was just super excited. I was a six and contractions, honestly, they were pretty consistent, but I was able to breathe through them. No big deal. And through the night, again, I just kind of labored with Pitocin, lots and lots of Pitocin during this birth. But it was nice that night, the nurse who was there, she was amazing. And she was like talking sports with my husband, which I think was a super help for him. He had just been in this like birth, you know, world for going on mm -hmm. 24 plus hours and so just having this like sports talk with her was super exciting and super nice for him so gave him a nice big mental like shift and excitement and so the next morning Ellie came back and checked me and I was still six but kind of seven centimeters and 80 percent of space so again it was easy to feel discouraged like that was a whole nother night of laboring and pitocin and uh but my doula decided to make her way over because she could she couldn't leave once she got there. So and she had like 
four other births going on at the same time. So I felt really bad, but she was faint and came in and her and my nurse gave me some new positions to try to just help like baby labor down. And it was a huge help. They, the positions just helped me a ton. Hands and knees, ball, toilet, sideline, all the things. I couldn't walk the halls, but just trying to stay active. Also trying to remind myself to rest because it had been so long and just to be okay with slow because sometimes that is okay. And my baby was, her heart rate was amazing. Sorry, it was a girl again. <laughs> I blew it again, but it was a surprise for us. So she was amazing and probably what let me keep going this long. And so at the end of the night, my, so Ellie, the, the nurse midwife, she was in the office all day. So, and she didn't like having other people check me or do anything. And so we waited till she got back to, to do anything else. But around 4.20 that afternoon, I was laboring on the toilet and trying to stay positive, knowing that seven centimeters is where I got stuck with my daughter and knew that there's usually a wall when most women are trying to be back and trying to get over that. And, um, and as I'm sitting on the toilet, I feel my baby like drop and I'd never experienced that before. And so to feel that her drop down and like get into my pelvis, I broke down. I lost it. And start crying and just saying, I can do this. Like my body isn't broken. I can get past this seven centimeter hump and just like the biggest, biggest motivation for me. And my doula actually got a picture of me on the toilet and it's one that I'll cherish forever. It's amazing just seeing like the confidence in me that knowing that I could, I could do this. And so we checked me after it got checked after again and I have seven centimeters still, but 90% of face and at the zero station. And so made some big progress and we decided to have my water broken, which I thought a lot about, but decided we need to get this going and it would be the, the next best step. And so got my water broken and then contractions amped up a ton. And I asked to turn off the toast in, like I was doing it on my own now and got in the shower, but I had to get out of the shower because they wanted to keep checking with the monitors, you know, and those, portable ones weren't staying on and just really wanted the birth tub like I had envisioned during transition to be totally in the tub and relaxing there and breathing through but I was not there I was in a hospital where I did not want to be and so I came to to realize that I should probably get the epidural to to help me give give me the biggest shot at this and so around 7 30 that night I got the epidural and it worked pretty good yeah, it works pretty good. <laughs> got it. <laughs> and we were able to rest until about 1130 and I got checked. So like four hours later and I was complete and plus two station and we were all so, so, so excited. I got to labor baby down for about another hour and then started pushing and pushing with epidural like was not my dream. I couldn't really feel what I was doing felt pretty ineffective, but soon I got to reach down and feel my baby, which was super cool. And even at this point, I still was like, I could have a C-section at any point, you know, like they could still wheel me back. I was not, I was not positive. Although I guess when I touched the baby's head, that was pretty close. I don't know if I thought you can have a C-section at that point. I don't know, but um, it was really exciting. And so towards the very end, I guess I started feeling really nauseous. And as I, as I was pushing, I like started to throw up. And so 
it was really glorious having my husband holding the throw it bag as I'm pushing and everyone's like coaching me like come on you can do it push harder and I'm like puking my guts out and I think that happened through like four contractions and so I definitely I threw up pushed my baby out which was (laughs) so weird but pretty cool I guess (laughs) I guess that's pretty common nauseous and throwing up at the end but it definitely um, is (laughs) and because a lot of a lot of things are shifting too like as baby's moving down like our organs and all those things that have been pressed up and like you know jumbled around to make room they're they're moving and shifting and Mm -hmm. so sometimes it can make us nauseous plus a lot of the times we're holding our breath during pushing and that in yes. itself can make us nauseous. And then we get hot and that can make us nauseous. So it's all a just it's a hot mess. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, yeah. <laughs> that was me. <laughs> that was me at the end. So it was, yeah, I like threw up and she like came out and, but I got to pull her up into my chest, which was the most like amazing moment ever. Something that I wished, you know, with my first baby could have done, done but it was amazing. So I got to pull her up skin to skin for two hours or whatever and and then yeah it was that was my birth basically oh that's exciting congratulations no such an awesome feeling so question after you had your baby did you feel much better and you know feel less like you had cholestasis (laughs) yeah so it was it was interesting i like once I got to the hospital and like started the whole labor process, I really didn't feel itchy again, which is weird, but I don't know. I guess I just needed to get to the hospital and then my body could relax. I don't know. I don't, yeah, I didn't really have any more itching after getting there. And then after having the baby, yeah, like my nausea went down, my achiness, you know, all those things. So that yeah, kind of just left right away, which I know sometimes it can stay on for a couple days or so, but yeah, it usually resolves pretty quickly after the baby's born. It's so interesting. Um, I just want to talk a little bit about cholestasis, and it's actually not that complicated of a thing to understand, but it's something that you usually don't really hear about until you have it, right? So, yes. <laughs> cholestasis is actually a problem with the liver, it affects the liver. And it uh, either slows down or stops the normal flow of bile from the gallbladder. So it can cause itching, which is the first symptom of cholestasis, right? Um, And then it can turn into like jaundice type symptoms like yelling of your skin, eyes, and mucous membranes, which essentially starts deteriorating your liver. So in that, and, and then if you have problems with your liver, then that can also cause problems for your baby, which is why they recommend inducing cholestasis around 37 weeks, if things aren't looking too bad, sometimes they even recommend it at 36 weeks. Um, Usually it develops later on in pregnancy, but sometimes it can show up in early pregnancy, which would mean you would need to transfer to a maternal fetal medicine or a high-risk provider pretty quickly in order to manage that. So pretty simple, right? Just it affects the liver and affects its ability to, it stops the normal flow of bile which kind of sounds really disgusting, but it's just a normal body function. (laughs) Yeah. And the the cool thing is like, I really love this story because we're talking about cholestasis, which I don't know that we've had somebody with cholestasis on. Have we? I mean, we had had one. I, I, I listened to it. Yeah. 
Oh, so we did have what? It's been 170 episodes, you guys. I can't even remember. I wish I could remember every single talk topic that we've talked about. But also, with the cholestasis, and then you have an induction at 36 weeks with a cervix that was not showing any signs of being favorable, and a nice patient birth team that let her go low and slow on the induction. And she had a long labor, which is kind of expected when you're 37 weeks pregnant. But with the patience of her birth team and the support of her doula and her ability to make decisions regarding her care, all set her up for a nice, healthy VBAC. Now, I'm not saying that every time you have this scenario, sometimes it's not going to go that way. And sometimes a repeat cesarean will be needed because if your body's not responding to labor, you know, it's just a whole bunch of things come into play. But I really like hearing stories of an early induction or like preterm induction. I guess you're like right on the brink of like early term category at 37 weeks. But I love hearing those stories of success because it gives people hope when they do have things that are messically, messically, (laughs) I just combined medically and necessary into one word, medically necessary for the baby to come out. You don't have to go right to a C-section, although in some, some circumstances um, it might be the best choice, but where induction is an option still, you can, you can have that induction and be patient and be prepared for the long haul because Honestly, a 37-week induction is probably not one of those ones that's going to take two hours and then you have a baby. It's probably going to take a couple days. And as long as you're set up with the right mindset for that and you have a patient team, then you're going to have a really good chance of having a good birth experience and even better chance of having a VBAC because patience is the key when we're working with earlier inductions. You know, I, we said it earlier, like, obviously induction is not the most ideal. Like, it's just not. But it's not impossible. And when you have providers, like Harley did, like, it is so possible. You know, it's extra possible because they've got patients. They understand the physics of birth and what the cervix does and what the cervix needs. And a lot of the times it just needs time. Like Julie said, like, usually, you know, you don't go in unless you've, like, totally had a baby before. I wouldn't say that, you know, it's impossible to have a baby within 24 hours. A lot of the times you go in in the morning and have a baby by three o'clock PM. But when you haven't had a baby vaginally before and your cervix hasn't gotten all the way there yet and things are different, it just takes time. It takes a lot of time. And the biggest thing, you know, one of the, one of the biggest things that we talk about in our VBAC course a lot is finding a good provider, a provider yeah. that, that you trust, that trusts you. Because if your provider doesn't trust you, that could be a problem because yeah, that means your opinion, ways. yeah, your opinion won't matter as much because they don't trust you, right? So you need to trust them. They need to trust you. And you all, of all of us, need to trust birth. We need to trust birth. We need to trust our bodies, that our bodies can do it. It just needs time. You know, for my birth, like... <laughs> I likely would have ended in a C-section if I were in a different place because it was 42 hours and I was stuck, you know, at a certain centimeter for a really long time and I was exhausted and it's just, it was rough and it's just, yeah, I can't stress a provide a good provider enough. So, so proud of you, love and congratulations again. And thank you so much for sharing your story. Thank you guys so much. 
Would you like to be a guest on the podcast? Head over to the vbacklink.com slash share and submit your story. For more information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, the VBAC blog, and Julie and Megan's bios, head over to the vbacklink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAC link.